It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
All right, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. The Ides of March are upon us. I cannot believe how fast this year is going by. We're already in the third month, March 1st. You got to love it. And what a way to kick off March with some rage, giving us deceiver. I haven't played the band on the show in a long time. And as you know, they've, they're kind of kaput once again. Uh, most of the band quit. So we'll find out what's going on with those guys. If uh, they restarted again, who knows? But they were a solid act. You know, they always were. And I was always a big fan of them. But hey, listen, we got a great march for everybody. We're kicking it off in a big way tonight. Jeff McCormick and Rick Pierce from Q5 are on the show. They'll be up in about 15, 20 minutes or so. And then the guys from Blind Assassin, Kevin Jackson, Eric Tuto Benny, and Evan Guest will be calling in. We'll talk to them about the old days of the band and maybe we could kind of nudge a reunion out of them. Wouldn't that be fantastic? One of my all-time favorite bands, and I'm glad that there's this box set out right now, all this compilation for people to get a hold of because it really brings a new audience to that band. So much more we should have gotten out of them. We'll find out why we didn't when we talk to them later on. All right, Tommy is off once again tonight. He will be back next week. He had a family affair. And I think why make him call in for a few minutes and have to disappear. So I will hold down the ship once again on my own. And Tommy will be back next Sunday night and join us then. All right, let's keep the music flowing. How about some Eric Steele when the lights go out?
Oh man, metal charge with battalions. You know, every time I hear anything with David Wayne on vocals, I mean, you know, you get like that. I mean, I felt that way about him when he was alive too. I thought he was such a great singer. I was such a big fan of metal church back in the day. And it was a shame when he passed away, even though he did kind of get back with metal church towards the middle. It was at a time when metal was kind of on the outs and the album really wasn't that great, you know, but he's got such a voice on him and it goes right through me when I hear it. It's just like Ronnie James Dio and certain other singers. And I always felt that way about David Wayne. Then I think about like that whole scene back in Washington in the day, you know, you had metal church, you had Q5 who would be on it a little while and bands like TKO and Queensryche and rail. And there were so many bands to even name. I can't go through them all right now, but what a great scene it was back then before grunge took over. I <laughs> gave the state a bad name, but the metal scene was just incredible. All right, well, you know what? Jeff is going to be calling in in about five minutes or so. We're going to get him on a few minutes earlier. We'll talk about some of the other bands that he plays in before Rick calls in and we go right into the Q5 stuff. Uh, but like I was saying, a lot of great stuff coming out of Seattle back in the day. And Jeff had a band called Screams of Angels. I, I believe he told me that they're no longer together. Uh, but he actually does vocals on, on this album, not drums like he does with Q5 and a lot of his other bands. So we'll get that on in about a minute or so. And then by the time we're done, Jeff should be calling in. But I, I've been kind of busy this week, so I really didn't get a chance to bounce around on uh, Brave Words or Blabbermouth to see kind of what was going on in the news. But I did see on Facebook a lot of people are getting up in arms over this uh, whole Pantera thing with some band called Nuclear Health Frost, uh, the face, I guess, uh, Dime's Grave. Now, I'm not a big Pantera fan. I never was uh, from when they were in the glam days or the heavy days. I never cared about them, but it's just kind of disrespectful. And, you know, whether it was a publicity stunt or what, I have no idea. But they're not even, like, man enough to own up to it. But like I said, I didn't really read enough into it yet to talk about it. So maybe when Tommy comes back next week, uh, we'll get more into that. Uh, but right now, let's get on Screams of Angels. Uh, this is one of Jeff's bands. Uh, he does vocals on this. Uh, he has a song called Into the War Zone. It's over 
chance to change what I'm living for. This rage inside has left me cold. Day after day I'm falling into the war zone. And that was a great record. Into the War Zone, that's the title track, Screams of Angels. As a matter of fact, Jeff is on the line right now, so let's connect him live, and we can talk about that a little bit in Q5 and everything else he's got his hands in these days. Jeff, how are you? Great, Mike. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. It's a pleasure having you on here today. Oh, it's an honor to be here. Thanks so much for having us. Ah, uh, man, anytime, anytime. You know, we were just playing Screams of Angels, and I know the other day you were telling me that I guess the band's no longer together now. That's correct, yeah. Wow, that was great. You actually, you were the vocalist in this band, not the drummer. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I, I did play drums on the record, uh, and I, okay. did, I did all the vocals and, and played a little keyboard as well. <laughs> wow. Was this the first time you really, like, sang, like, took over the vocals, like, entirely on any of the albums or bands you've been in? Oh, yeah, for sure. And it was done by, it was done by default, actually. It was kind of an accident because we were in the studio writing the material. Uh, Craig Church, who's now playing with uh, Pamela Moore, he's, he's her guitar player. We were writing the material and I was going to be the drummer for this project. And I was kind of humming a melody line. And he said, why don't you go in and just track that and see what happens? And I started singing and he turned around and he goes, well, well maybe you should be the singer for this and <laughs> we'll see what happens. But funny how did, it works did you out. Know you did you know you could sing? Because you really did an amazing job on the record. You really got a good voice. Oh, you're, you're very kind. I, I, you know, I dabbled here and there, and I sang backups for most of the bands I was in. So, you know, there, there's a little bit of an inkling, but, uh, you know, I, you know, there's so many singers out there that are so fantastic. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't really setting out to be that, you know, that singer, but yeah. hopefully it worked uh, out. <laughs> It sure did. It did a great job on that record. It's a shame that it didn't work out because I would have loved to have heard more from that down the road. But it's still like you don't have nothing to do. I mean, you got Q5 going on. I do believe you're in the, the in Fifth Angel also now. Well, I was in Fifth Angel now. Fifth Angel uh, was only in uh, 2010, and we did one show in Germany, and uh, the band is no longer. 
Okay. Uh, and I was just saying before you came out, I was saying, you know, back in the 80s, Seattle, I mean, I mean, that's it was just Washington State in general. It had, it had such an amazing scene. There were so many bands that were going at it from the very beginning, and a lot of them are still together today. But it was just an amazing scene, and it got such a bad reputation in the 90s, like when grunge kind of took over everything. But, you know, the bands that came out from that time, it must have been amazing back in the late 70s, early 80s. It, it was a tremendous time, an insane time. You couldn't swing a dead cat around here without hitting somebody in a band. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I was uh, assistant manager at this place called the Music Bank, and it was a, a rehearsal place. And uh, people that know Alice in Chains will know the, the name Music Bank from their uh, their greatest hits stuff. But that's where that's where Alice in Chains used to play. In fact, I, I played drums for them for a short amount of time before they before they made it big. <laughs> and uh, this this music bank had 60 rooms where bands were rehearsing. So you had 60 bands rehearsing 24 hours a day. So I had, I had you know, access to all of them all the time. And that was yeah. just one of many rehearsal places around Seattle. It was crazy, crazy times. I can imagine so many good bands coming out. I mean, as for a musician, I'm sure that's a great way to be because, like you say, you have a lot of choice of people to hook up with and play with and, and form bands. I mean, do you remember the very first band that you were in and, you know, how it went? Uh, well, uh, I don't know if <laughs> the very first band no one's ever heard of ever, ever in their lives, ever. And they never will. <laughs> if I have anything to do with it, <laughs> I played in a band called rival and, uh, okay. we, we didn't, you know, it was a, it was a garage band, that sort of thing. And, and I, I did a few of those and another band called juvenile that went on to be sentence and, and, uh, actually a video from the band sentence from 1986 or 85, that showed up on YouTube uh, magically, how that happens these days. That's how <laughs> Screams of Angels got signed. Okay. Because uh, uh, someone from uh, um, a friend of mine, who's, uh, his name's Bart Gabriel, he owns a label called Skull Records. He saw yeah. a video from my, my old band Sentence on YouTube, and, um, and he asked if that band had anything that was available to put out. And I said, no, of course not. You know, that's 85, and we didn't do anything. There's probably a a, a beer stained cassette tape somewhere with, <laughs> with stuff on it. But, <laughs> but, but then he asked if I had anything else. And sure enough, we had this screams of angels thing in the can already. So that's how it, it went out. Oh, that was, well, you know, Hey, things work out like that for a reason. You know, that's why <laughs> I know. <laughs> right? happen. Uh, but do you remember the first band you remember you really thought this was the band that was going to make it, you know, the, you're going to take over the world and then something always happens. <laughs> it just falls apart. Oh boy, there's at least 50 or 60 of those. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, honestly, well, in 91, I was in a band with Rick Pierce and Jonathan Kay called Nightshade. And this was, uh, this was the band, this is the band that was right after Q5, or Q5 uh, broke up in 85, 86. And then uh, Jonathan and Rick kind of stayed together and kept writing and and there was still some material that was meant for the third Q5 album, but it went on and, and uh, started on uh, the first album that Nightshade put together, which was called Dead of Night. Yeah. And so uh, the three of us and a bass player named Tony Magnelli uh, put that together, and we that that should have that should have taken off. Unfortunately, I had to leave uh, because I had a, a a tragedy in my family, so I had to leave the band at that time. Um, but that I really, we really felt that something was, was pretty magical at that point. Yeah, Dead of Night was a great record. I mean, it really was, but it was, it was also the time like 91 I'm thinking, you know, the tide hadn't really turned yet on, on good metal and rock. 
but a few years later, it really did. It took a nosedive, and a lot of bands were struggling at that point in time. But that was a solid record that came out in '91. Is that how you kind of hooked up with all? Those? Was that the first time you kind of hooked up with Rick and Jonathan and Anthony and all of them? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And you know, it was so funny because um, we you know, we got, we got into Kerrang magazine with that. And Kerrang gave us a full page, and they gave us a 5K, which for them is their highest rating at the time. Yeah. And the page next to us, there was this uh, this virtually unknown band called Pearl Jam, and the, the <laughs> rating for their for their album 10, I think they gave them a 3K, which is completely hysterical because now they're multi billionaires, and <laughs> you know you know sure. the rest of the story. But <laughs> it was pretty pretty funny. Yeah. Well, I, like I said, you, you had to part ways with Nice Shaggy. You had some personal stuff that you needed to, to tend to, and that kind of ended. Yeah. Uh, I, I know it was Blood Good, and you actually inherited a parent for a couple of years, uh, I guess, in the, around yep. 2004 or five. Uh, we just had Terry on about uh, a week or two on the show also. Oh, 2006. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So you had your hands on a lot of these uh, Seattle-based bands uh, for, for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. I kind of... Kind of hoard myself out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, in a way, I guess it's kind of good because you know you don't get bored. It doesn't get stale. You're always learning. I mean, but is it difficult like trying to fit into a new band all the time? Where like you always feel like you're a new guy and you kind of have to live up to what the old drummer did, and you really don't want to express yourself your way yet. And you know, is it harder when you step into an established band or guys have been playing together for a long time? Uh, yes. I mean, sure it is. I mean, I, when I walk into Fifth Angel, I mean, I'm sitting in the chair that Ken Mary once held. I mean, Ken Mary is yeah. outstanding. He's ridiculous. Amazing. Uh, you know, and, and Gary Thompson on top of that, I'm sitting in Gary Thompson's chair. This is uh, for Q5. You know, yeah. he's phenomenal. He was a uh, with TKO and he's so good, incredibly good. So cer certainly it is, but it just makes me study and it makes me want to be a better drummer. And, and hopefully that, uh, that's the result. Well, you've done that job. And you know what? Hang on, Jeff. I think we have uh, Rick on the line. Let me uh, connect him and find out. Awesome. Hey, Rick, is that you? Hey, yeah, Mike. Hey, Rick, how you doing? Hey, Jeff's Rick. on the line already with us. What's going on? Doing great. Hey, uh, Jeffrey. How you doing, man? I'm good, Rick. How are you? you Long time no see. We, right. You know, Rick, we were, we were talking about, you know, Washington and what a great scene it was back in, the, you know, in the late 70s and early 80s when all of these bands were coming about, including TKO, who was like very early on in that scene. And we were just getting up right. to Q5. And now, you know, Q5 has such a great run back in the 80s. I mean, some two amazing records. The fans loved it. But then, like, you know, we didn't hear from you guys in the late 80s. And at that time, it was a pre-internet era. So nobody really knew what was going on or why it happened. Even happened to pick up a copy of a magazine. Let's start where the band ended, you know, and we'll pick up from there. Uh, where Q5 ended? Yeah, back in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of a, it was, it was a little bit of a nebulous time. We, uh, um, we had a kind of drastic change of direction on the second album that uh, there, there was a lot of... Uh, of a uh, of a tug of war in the band about whether we were commercial enough or or trying to go over the top as far as appealing to uh, to the masses in the USA, whereas we just the Europeans were were with us from the get go. Yeah. Um, but finally, it got to the point where Jonathan and I thought we would have to part ways and start our own band, Nightshade, to keep the mainstream uh, uh, heavy metal format of the band to carry that forward. So uh, 
it kind of it just kind of dissolved and the band turned into Nightshade. Yeah, we were saying got, that. Yeah, got Jeffrey on board. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, definitely when the mirror cracks was definitely a, a much different sound than record than steal the light, a good record, but two different sounded albums completely by the band in like a, in like a year gap in a year period. It was. And, uh, I, I knew that there was that, uh, the fans might be scratching their heads on that. In fact, I went to, uh, to England myself and, and, uh, I was, uh, posted by our label over there, music for nations. And I uh, did a string of press over there to kind of try to soften the blow. I was going to say, well, there's still a lot of hard rock material on here, but we're, uh, we're trying some new things. Yeah. And you, you know, it's funny. The way you look at things like back then compared to, I mean, do you look at that album or even the first album, Still Light, in the same way today as you did back then? I mean, as a fan, you know, stuff I didn't like back then or that I did like, I, I feel differently about today. And I look at it in a different in a different view because you know, a lot of years have come and gone since that time. But as a musician, as the people that have, that wrote the music and promoted it, how do you feel about the albums like, you know, 25, 30 years later? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question because at the time we didn't know we were doing anything so unique. And people were coming and saying, man, this is, this is a great album. And, and with all this time to look back to think about it, I think that, that it was we were a band that could do some kind of almost borderline thrash type music and then turn around and on the same album doing doing something totally blues based doing something yeah. like ACDC style and that was just our influences coming together and everybody sharing in the in the group and in the writing and it was kind of a unique blend that way it, well, you know, it's funny how you say, you know, Q5 kind of morphed in a way into Nightshade years later when that fell apart. And, you know, Q5 kind of you know, morphed out of TKO. I mean, with Floyd Ross coming, <laughs> I think, true. with Jonathan from Core. You know, I mean, it was those two and then you guys. You know, so it was, you had like a really tight-knit yeah. scene, especially with, you know, you guys kind of carrying on from TKO till today in one band or That's another. True. Yeah, yeah, and it was true. And, and, and then Jonathan and, and Floyd on one side were kind of, were, were, uh, kind of, minor key kind of uh, Scorpions, Richard Blackmore type stuff. And then the TKO guys, uh, uh, Evan and myself and, and Gary brought in kind of a more of a swagger and a kind of a glam blues based kind of, kind of thing. And uh, we took it from there. Yeah. Do, do you think Floyd Rose had an attitude because he invented a piece for the guitar? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it, 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 it makes it uh, somewhat awkward to have like four starving musicians and one rich guy. <laughs> but uh, aside from that, man, uh, I still have a nice collection of guitars. Boy, I can imagine. Time. Did, Times are good. I'm play? still coasting on that deal. And in fact, uh, uh, I met up with Floyd at, the, at last year's NAMM show and he, uh, he fixed me up with his, his brand new tremolo. Ah, it nice. Just the market this year. I got a prototype. I'll be featured on our on our gigs now. Every time you guys got screwed with something money wise, did he go and play with that tremor a little bit more, like to show off? <laughs> <laughs> oh, he didn't need to. He was he was giving away Ferraris. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when you look back, they really were great times. I mean, you know, nothing will take. You can't take away the times we had in the '80s with the music and even they all the problems that happened in bands. They were just fantastic. Oh, you said it, Mike. Yeah. I, I know I look back at it now with memories and like in fondness, and I kind of miss it, but I'm glad that, you know, you guys are still doing it. And last year, you decided to put Q5 back together again. You hooked up with Jeff, and, 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 and it's happening again. 
That's true. And I, I just got to pinch myself because I think all of us would be doing this no matter what, but the fact we're doing it all with each other again is, is, yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah. No matter how hard Agreed. I try to get away from these guys. <laughs> Still. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. I look at Evan. We were we played in bands in high school. <laughs> True. Uh, well, was it hard getting everybody back together again? Or was everybody really on the same page? Like, did everybody feel this was the time and it was right for you guys to, to do it again? It was, well, a lot. It, it was easy to a point. It, it became easier when, when Evan joined Nightshade. And then some promoters in Europe started saying, scratching their heads and saying, hey, uh, you know, you got three-fifths of Nightshade or of Q5 here. Why don't we just bill you as Q5 and you guys had a, you know, a lot, lot bigger uh, name recognition then. Yeah. So we actually, we, we actually went over as a four-piece as Q5 and did some dates as Nightshade or Q5, depending on who was more popular in that particular town. <laughs> and... Uh, so that that part came easy. Getting Evan back in the fold kind of kind of got it going. And then this uh, the the big the big Sweden rock gig was kind of a catalyst where we got to put the band together uh, to do this. And we actually did approach Floyd, uh, and he just doesn't doesn't want to play live anymore. But he he takes a, a big interest in the band. Yeah. Um, and uh, Gary didn't want to do it, and, and Jeffrey was a natural. Uh, Frankie Rongo was the uh, the drummer for the last two Nightshade albums and he went to Sweden with us, but he couldn't commit the, the time he needs to, um, that we need to, uh, from our drummer now. Yeah. Well, w when you do go out now and start playing, is it going to be strictly Q5 or do you think you might mix some Nightshade songs in there? Because it would be great, to, especially off the first record, which like Jeff was saying, was a lot of stuff that was kind of left over from the Q5 days. Well, I'm glad you asked that, Mike, because we do indeed, uh, <laughs> uh, we do some of the favorite songs off, uh, up in Nightshade. And I, I'll, I'll tell you, we were rewarded when we played last in, uh, in Greece and Cyprus was that the fans had seemed to have a, a, as much of a knowledge of the early Nightshade stuff as they did of the Q5. And that was, that was really gratifying because the way, I mean, Jonathan and I never really stopped doing this. We've, we've, the way we look at it, we put out five albums together now. Um, sure. And so we're, we're drawing from our whole, uh, whole catalog that way. Well, you know, I love somebody's watching you. It's probably one of my favorite tunes on the record. I would love to hear you guys do that live. Yeah, I will. I'll, I'll confide in you that that was a song that we wrote when we were still in Q5. That would have been slated for the uh, the third Q5 album. Ah, uh, great tune. And that's I that, love that's that one. a story with many. That's yeah, thanks, Mike. That's that's uh, true of about four or five songs on that that first night shit album. Yeah. Well, like he says, now you're back together. You're out there playing again. Is it, are you going to focus on just the live shows, maybe trying to work the festival circuit? Or are you looking to record new music? Because we would love to hear what the band would sound like now. Oh, we're decidedly working on new music. We're, oh, we're going great. to try to have an album done before the end of summer. Um, our catalog is now available. That's the Nightshade, Nightshade and Q5 on, on uh, iTunes and, uh, and CD Baby. But uh, we're going to try to have a full-length uh, LP done before the end of summer. Cool. Well, you know, it's, it's been 30 years since the last record. I mean, are you, are you, do you have it intentionally set where you want to try to recreate the old days of the band, the sound of the band, or is it going to be what the band would sound like today if it was still together for those last 30 years? I mean, obviously a lot of influences coming out of your life in the last three decades. I think we've had enough to, uh, long enough to ponder what we liked about that and then maybe what we would like to cut loose. Uh, so I, I think actually, uh, 
especially with with Evan and having people that I've that I've played with off and on, and, and Jeffrey and and Jonathan together, we, we can kind of predict finish each other's sentences. So I do think it would be a continuation of of what we started then. I th- we're not just trying to recreate the old uh, the old sound. It's a continuation of whatever chemistry we had then. We still have it now. Yeah. Because yeah, a lot of bands, they you know, you listen to a new record they put out, and it'll sound like exactly like wherever they were the last time they were together. It's like they intentionally, yeah. you know, try to write that way. But I, I think it's kind of hard because it's really, it's, how can you recreate a sound that you had in '84, '85, '82? No. I mean, you know, <laughs> it's like when bands try to re-record old songs or albums like Manowar. They keep re-recording all the. It loses, you know, it's like a special time and place. It's hard to recreate that, especially with, with different players. Right, right. I hear, I hear what you're saying, but. Uh... If anything, I mean, we just, I, I feel like especially I can speak for myself and Jonathan having stayed, been in a band together for for so long that we've just kind of stayed the course and uh, and just stand true to write the, you know, the, what they call true metal. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's, that's where we're at and not going to straight, we, we're not going to come out with any keyboards. Let me say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, not, there's nothing yeah, wrong with I that. Think, uh, I, I, I think just say it. there's nothing wrong with that, and I would, I would not, I would never say never, even as far as that goes. But uh, uh, I don't want to scare anybody. We we got we got some hate mail after that second album came out. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of stuff I was proud of on that, but we got some hate mail. I loved it where uh, a fan wrote to it. We got these from the record company. They forwarded them to us real nice of them. Where somebody says, "Here was my uh, here was my uh, uh, top ten list in 1984." And they sent, you know, it's like Las Rockets is first, uh, then maybe Accept. Number three yeah. is Q5. And then here's my list this year. And it goes like 2099 uh, is like Slim Whitman. Uh, 2100 <laughs> is uh, Dolly Parton. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, <laughs> 2101 is Captain and Tennille. And uh, <laughs> the next one is, is uh, uh, Q5. <laughs> awesome. No, yeah. I, I think you just broke Jeff's heart because he was saying before you came on that he can't wait for the new record to come out because he's got a whole bunch of keyboard parts he wants to put on him. Oh, no, Yeah, no. totally. <laughs> I got them all sequenced. <laughs> <joking> around. <laughs> I just kidding. Around. Uh, yeah, I guess you, you know you really do have to have a thick skin to be in this business because you you'll never hear the 100 compliments that you get or the good things, but that one bad one will always stand out in your mind. And you know, I guess you gotta just like laugh it off because what else? I mean, it's probably yeah. easier to laugh off today than it was back then. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I guess you can tell I took it to heart. <laughs> yeah, you remembered it. <laughs> what, 30, 30 years ago, yeah. Well, how, yeah, really? How, how can you not? How can any artist not? That's like telling Michelangelo, why did you paint that ceiling blue like that? What the hell are you doing? I mean, you know, how can you not take something personal that you put your time and effort into, especially uh, music, which is creative? Yeah. <laughs> it has to I be difficult, that. but you do learn yeah. to live with it, I guess. Yeah, you said it. Uh, well, listen, like I said, the band is back together now. Did you realize that there was a lot of like people out there saying, you know, what happened to these guys? I wish they would get back together. And a lot of them, are like kids that probably weren't even born when the records came out. You know that's really gratifying, and that's that's something. Just getting out and and uh, uh, touring some uh, the little bit that we did this this last year. I mean, we saw especially uh, well in, in both Sweden and in Greece, the main places that we uh, 
that we hit, uh, they're kids that were obviously, they weren't born when, when our records came out and they're here, they are singing along with them. Yeah. And, uh, it, it's that's, wild. That's just hard, hard to get your head around. It's, it shows, uh, that, that the, the metal fans are, are true fans. You're and, right. And goes, my, it, my kids it, love it. It spans, it spans generations. Yeah. Well, I mean, think back when you were 15, 16 year old kid, were you into the music that your parents were into? Was I into what? No. no way. No way. No, I, no. I was. <laughs> no. Nothing. I, 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 like, I said something like this. And, and a shredded Jimi Hendrix poster thrown out of the door with it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm the same way, but like you hear these kids today, like my kids are in the room, like, what are they playing? Is that Iron Maiden? I walk in there to play an Iron Maiden. I'm like, holy <laughs> shit. I mean, you know, you know, and I'm like, yeah. I'm with them. You know, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And you got all these I, great I, festivals I, I, over in Europe that are. That are that are playing all of the older older music, and they're they're focusing on that stuff and bringing it all back. So you get you get all these younger people that are going to these new festivals with the old music. True, and it all just kind of grows and grows. So so yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah, they, they definitely have kept everything alive over overseas. You know where we kind of gave up. We're a very trendy nation. I'm gonna have to tell you guys that. I mean, whatever's popular oh, yeah. today is gone tomorrow. But they live in like Greece. I never realized how big Greece is. Like for metal, how they love rock and metal. It's like they're crazy over there, like in South America. It is crazy. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's just it, it's nuts. Yeah. yeah. I mean, those and guys. I, like I, I need to get a shout out to our friends in Northern Ireland, Ireland though. They've had us back a few times, Jonathan and I, uh, more than a few times. Uh, we got a nice little pocket of, of, of pals and fellow rockers, the uh, the rockers reunion folks there that uh, that we've. Uh, played their gigs there for him so shout out to them yeah well you know and, like you know, today, let's, let's they, not throw america under the bus no no yeah, we no, can't let's, let's not throw america under the bus there because you know we got the ragnarocker festival in may that we're going to play at that focuses on a lot of the older stuff too and then there's a, right. there's another um, old, older metal festival in new york um that is focusing on, on much much older stuff too so right you said there are, there are those you, great you, yeah, in uh, america yeah, yeah we, have the defend, we have the defender we have the we have the Defenders of Old Festival taking place here in two weeks. This kid puts on uh, this amazing festival. He tries to get all these great classic rock bands together, brings them over here. And this is like <laughs> tremendous. And I think it's just going to get bigger and bigger. So maybe, you know, here, you know, we could do it for our own people <laughs> in this country and, and show <laughs> what it's all about. Yeah. Start the revolution. Yeah, you have to. That's the only way to do it. But, you know, it is getting better, but it, it, it's not going to be like it used to be, but it is getting better here. And like you said, you see a lot of these young kids getting involved in the scene now, and they're kind of keeping it alive, you know, and, and it's a good thing. It really is. For sure. That's great to see. Yeah. Well, how do you guys feel about the whole internet thing? Because when, you know, when the band, I mean, you've kind of played throughout this ever anyway, but, you know, when Q5 kind of broke up, uh, there really was no internet. It didn't exist back then. Today, it seems to, to be the be-all to end-all. I mean, bands seem to only focus no. on everything with internet and social media, they kind of forgot about everything else that goes on in a band besides that. Right. I mean, when the, um, the two Q5 albums, albums, if you wanted a digital copy of those, you had to, you only got that if you bought the, the second album from music for nations, our, our British label. Yeah. CDs were so new then that they, uh, the first, uh, first Q5 was not officially released on a CD. Uh, they, they put that on as a bonus with the second, album with when the mirror cracks so that's my copy of that album is that both albums on one cd from music for nation yeah yeah well you know another big but thing and, today and is vinyls. For, 
vinyl is is cool. I, that that's a, I'm hoping we get to go there. That would now be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's making it's making a comeback. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, right. people are buying it again, and they're paying twice as much as they would for a CD. Yeah, I hate to sound crass too, but I mean, part of this digital thing was like for 15 years, our music was being free, freely out there. That that actually might be part of the part of why people would still remember us, though. So I can't be uh, too pissed about it. But uh, the music was just you know being downloaded for for about 15 years, and it's just out floating around oh. there. Um, but yeah. uh, now, I, um, it's like thank goodness for iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're right. I mean, a lot of there were a lot of sites on the internet where people were trading albums, like they used to do with the old demo tapes and the bootlegs yeah. back in the day. And that did keep the name of a lot of bands alive. It seems, but the only problem today is right. that you know people won't buy the album after that. Like, well, I got the digital. I don't want it. Where at least like when we were younger, we used to get put everything on cassette, trading with our friends. But we still went and bought the album. Uh, today oh, they yeah. kind of forgot about that part, you know. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't join eBay until I saw uh, a Q5 Steel of Light bootleg CD on there. And since I didn't have a copy of Q5 Steel of Light CD, I, I bought it. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I'm not sure how they did it. They must. They probably just recorded the the vinyl LP or, or God forbid, the uh, cassette tape. And, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> made it from that, but I got it. It was it was those crazy Greeks. They bootleg everything. They sit yeah, in their bedrooms. Every album that comes out today is a bootleg from somebody uh, in Greece. <laughs> and they're making more yeah. money than the bands did off it. I mean, you can make a hobby of, of uh, collecting the different covers that Steal the Light had over, I mean, just on, le on legitimate labels. I mean, we had a different cover for Japan, a different label in, in Canada. They used a totally different... They, they, this is before Photoshop, so they literally cut and cut and pasted some photos, I think, and uh, uh, different cover for the U.S. and for uh, yeah, than for you. It was like an Andy Warhol uh, artwork. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, listen, I'm glad you guys are back together, and I'm gonna have to let you go in about a minute because I want to play some music, and I have another guest coming on right behind you, but I can't thank you guys enough, and I hope. When you get this thing going full force, you get this album out and you come over here to the East Coast because it would be amazing to see you guys here in New York or even New Jersey, even though they're right next to us. We don't like to count them as a real place, but, you know, come play over there, too. <laughs> hey, we'll God, go anywhere. Thanks for having us, man. <laughs> hey, it's my pleasure, man. Rick, Jeff, thank you guys very much. I'm looking forward to the new album, man. When it comes out, come back on the show, okay? We'll promote it. Thanks, man. We'll be there. Okay. Anytime, guys. Thank you very much. Take care. All right, man. Rock Take on. Take care, brother. All right, let's get on some Q5, and then we got the guys from Blind Assassin calling in in about 15 minutes or so. Here's Missing in Action. Where is I? 
All right, TKO, beware the hunter. You know, that's kind of where it all started, I guess, when you look at it that way. You know, uh, Q5 kind of came out of the ashes of uh, TKO. A uh, great bunch of guys. I'm looking forward to that new album. I hope we get it in 2015 because this is shaping up to be a great year uh, new musical-wise. So many killer records. I've been playing the Manila Road one quite a bit. Uh, I, I wanted to upload the Scorpions uh, for tonight, but I forgot all about it. But it's better off anyway because there were a few things I wanted to talk about with the band. And uh, we'll play it next week when Tommy comes back. That way I actually have somebody to talk to instead of myself. I'm used to doing a lot of things by myself, especially sex. But it's nice to have somebody else to talk to here and every now and then. All right. Uh, I guess I really didn't keep track of what was going on in the news this week outside of that uh, whole Pantera thing. Uh, but I'm just bouncing around right now. And uh, it looks like Richie Faulkner was saying that there's a possibility that there will be a new Judas Priest studio album. I hope so, because the last one was really, really good. I remember when they first started leaking bits and pieces of the record. Everybody was complaining. It sounded like crap. The songs were all good. Then once it came out, everybody changed the tune. It was like the greatest album in the world. And it really was a good Judas Priest record. So you know what? Why are you still healthy and able to put these albums out? Keep on doing it. Except for Anthrax. Uh, Scott Ian is threatening everybody with 17 new songs on their new record. And they're well into it. And I remember him saying a couple of years ago in an interview that if Joey Belladonna would ever leave the band again, uh, Anthrax would be over. They wouldn't even continue on anymore with another singer. So I don't know if we should start like a, a GoFundMe or a Kickstarter campaign to raise money and give as much of it as we can to Joey Belladonna to leave the band so we can finally end Anthrax's reign of terror upon the world of heavy metal. One way or the other, we've got to get rid of these guys. <laughs> I mean, I was a big fan from the Fistful of Metal days, but everything after that I kind of hated. And let's be honest, most of them are real dickheads. I can't say that about Frank Bella. He's a real sweetheart of a guy. Uh, he really is. But uh, the two other guys, <laughs> a bunch of schmucks. All right, let me see. That's about really it. So let's get on some music. The guys from Blind Assassin are going to be calling in in about 15 minutes. Uh, how about we do some Medieval? I, I wanted to play the new record, but once again, I forgot all about it. They were banned from the show for a long time. For saying that it's up for interviews, me and Tommy put them in the book a long time ago. But we kind of closed the book this year. We let it go, and we're starting fresh. And then again, I shouldn't say that because there were two people that are still in that book. And that's the great cat who I was talking to with uh, John before about on the internet and uh, Ann Bowling from Hanging for screwing me out of a couple of interviews and giving me a runaround. But the great cat I was telling John before, she contacted me when I was first doing the show. Uh, matter of fact, I think it was back in the MySpace days. That's how long ago it was about coming on and doing an interview. So I said, yeah, great. It sounds good. I would love to have you on the show. And I think her sister is like her manager or a PR person or maybe handles everything under her account. You know, you don't know who you're talking to, really. Uh, but it was one of the two of them. So I said, yeah, that sounds great. Here's a couple of dates. Pick one out. They pick a date out. I said, call into the studio, you know, at 7 o'clock or whatever. And she's like, the great cat doesn't call into radio stations. You have to call the great cat. <laughs> I was like, I can't call you. This is before Block Talk Radio had dial-out service and stuff like that. I mean, come on, this is the internet. You know, I mean, yeah, there's a switch button internet. This is before Skype and all those other services that allowed you to dial out. I was like, it's impossible. I can't. It's an internet radio show. It's on the internet. There's no way of dialing out. Well, the great cat won't call in. You have to call her otherwise it's over. I'm like, you contacted me. I didn't even want you on the show. I personally think you suck and have no talent to begin with. I don't think anybody's ever bought one of her records. <laughs> you give me a hard time by calling into a show. It isn't like any trunk and other people are knocking down your door for interviews. So I don't know. So she was the first one in the book and she'll always be in the book. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was telling John before, she was like the great cunt, not the great cat. I know I shouldn't use that word, you know, but it's, it's the truth. Who knows? And then John sent me a clip from YouTube of her when she was on the Morton Downey, uh, the Morton Downey Jr. show. 
uh, with JJ French from Twisted Sister. And I remember seeing that show when it was on. I used to love Morton Downey. You know, <laughs> he was off the wall, that guy. It was a funny clip. And uh, John, I'm going to post that later on for everybody on, on uh, Facebook to see. Some pretty good stuff over there. All right, like I was saying, we're talking about medieval. Let's get back to it. Here's Reign of Terror.
call it no man's home. But I know who's living there. It's the devil and the dogs of doom. I try to find out a man. Bullet with the Devil's Got You, and right before that, Staten Island Natives kill Van Cull with Burn It Up. Those guys are still together, you know that? Uh, they had a second record that they put out, but they had saxophones and a lot of other crazy shit to it back in the day, but they were a really solid band, and, and I like them. I don't really see them around here too often, and they come from my neighborhood. You think I'd hear about them playing live, but, but nothing really. All right, well, you know what? The guys in Blind Assassin are going to be calling in in a few minutes. We'll get on a tune by the band before they do. Uh, right before that, you know, 
Rob Cook uh, from Thrust, he was on the show a few months ago, and I keep in touch with him. Uh, he was talking about getting that first album, Fist Held High, re-released and remastered. He was working on it back then. Well, it's going to come out of Metal Blade Records. Uh, it's going to be a double CD or maybe a double vinyl. I don't know how the it. And it's going to have uh, the unreleased album that never came out by the band, Reincarnation. Uh, so I have actually have a lot of those tunes that are really good. I'm looking forward to hearing what they sound like now. All right. So uh, check it out. Keep in touch with me, and we'll let you know when it comes out. We'll get Ron back on the show. We'll talk about that. But right now, let's get on some Blind Assassin. Here's the song, What Lies in the Tomb. <laughs> Where he died, your man. 
age of twelve, the finger of a scorpion king. Oh, now this king seems larger by far than any human child could be. And the terrible curse washes over them, their bones have been left out to bleed. I believe we have all the guys on the line. I think I got everybody connected. Evan, Eric, Kevin, are you all there? Yeah, I'm here. This is Evan. All right. It's like a feat of technology trying to connect four people together on the internet, I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> it's good that it can be done. You're not kidding. I'm glad that I have you guys on here today. I've always been such a big fan of the band, and I've played the death that one demo tape for the last 30 years, and I'm so thrilled wow. that you know we finally have an album, some new stuff to, to listen to. Put to the Sword came out last year, and it gives us a lot of stuff that we've never heard over the years. Uh, yeah. just Before we get to that, why don't we kind of go back to the very beginning. Let's talk about how the band came together in the early days. Whoever wants to jump in, just go right ahead and, and start. Well, What's up, Kevin? Kevin? You want to tell them? There you go. Uh, I'll, I'll get started, and maybe you can fill in some blanks, Evan. There you um, go. Uh, I was uh, out of high school and working to put together a, a heavy metal band that uh, I had a vision for. Um, was working with musicians, trying to figure out which were serious, which were not. And I happened upon Evan, who obviously had um, some great natural talent as a bass player. And um, it was really important to me that I start playing with somebody of such ability. So um, I persuaded him to join. And uh, later on, we added uh, Kenny Crystal as our guitarist full-time, um, who also saw the vision and um, uh, fit right in like a glove. And yeah. as the three of us started rehearsing more regularly, uh, we added Tony Michaels as our drummer, who um, was um, world-class, really. Yeah, he was. Yeah, and, that, and those is, were some good times. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. And this is the this is the lineup that recorded the first demo tape. Or was anything recorded before '86? No. Oh no. Uh, no. <laughs> no. Go ahead. The, uh, the, the demo tape um, was actually, um, I guess, our most. Um, polished recording, if you can call it that, and um, you know we we only got a short amount of studio time, unfortunately. Everything that we've ever given you guys is pretty raw. And um, that particular demo tape was, the recording itself was done in two days, and then we were just mixing for a few days thereafter, and, and that's it. So, um, you know, it would have been great to be able to be financed by someone and get a lot more studio time, but, um, you know, what happened, happened. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, like, did, like, yeah. Go ahead, Evan. Yeah, yeah, Kevin did a lot of the financing. He was a he was a 
had, had a good work ethic and everything and really sacrificed a lot. i got to give him credit. I was kind of young and still partying a lot, but I was very serious about music. Uh, you know, that, that was a redeeming quality I had that got me in there. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Kevin didn't have to ask. He, it was pretty, pretty easy for me to go, oh, hell yes, let's do this, you know? So, yeah, yeah great memories of, uh, of his faith in me. That was, that was awesome, man. It really, really got me off start, to a great start musically. Yeah, uh, yeah I just started playing bass, actually. Go ahead. Well, a lot of people forget back in, the, in that time, you know, bands did everything on their own. I mean, you had to save up money, go into the studio. Most of the time, you, you young guys, you were kids. It wasn't that easy. The technology wasn't like it is today. So you kind of did the best you could with what you had, and hopefully, you know, it went yeah. somewhere. Yeah, yeah. With, with today's technology, and I don't know the full extent of it, but uh, you can do things that sound amazingly professional that weren't even something to be considered back in those days. Sure. And um, as far as like trying to get something like that, you had to have a rich uncle or something. <laughs> it would have been nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Today, all you need is the Macintosh and uh, you know Pro Tools or even GarageBand, and you can produce the most amazing things just sitting in your living room. No, that that's really true. Well, you know, like the demo comes out, right? Where did the band go from there? I mean, did you start? I mean, did it start bringing attention to you guys? I mean, did people start noticing the band at that point in time? Were there a lot of live shows being offered to you? Well, what was going on at the time was we were sort of a fish out of water in the area that we were in. They did not know what to make of all this because uh, Motley Crue and Rat had been signed out of Los Angeles. And the trend started toward what everybody recognizes today as 80s hair metal. So, yeah. you know, uh, Warrant was signed, I believe, and um, we were getting in the clubs right around that time of uh, after Poison was signed and Warrant and bands like that. And to step in as a European-influenced heavy metal band, uh, playing real heavy metal, not bubblegum, um, mm -hmm. it was um, uh, kind of a shock to the system, I think, of people who were seeing us. Most didn't understand um, what we were trying to do, but the people who did were really, really passionate about it, and, you know, that was that was the really gratifying part. Yeah. Did you find there was, like, a very, um, I don't know, how to, like a close-knit close scene where people weren't accepted, open, it was very, like, you know, clicky, and it was very difficult to break into certain areas, especially like L.A., like you were saying, during the hair metal phase? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, they had their expectations based on what was being promoted and what was being successful already at that time. And um, uh, once something had proven to be successful, they just wanted version two, three, four of yeah. that particular thing. <laughs> <laughs> Very well put, Kev. Yeah, no, it's yeah. true. But, but that has to make it really difficult. That has to make it difficult on a band like yourself who's got their own thing going on. And, you know, you're trying to make a name for yourself out there. It's like every door is being shut in your face, I guess, is what it kind of feels like. Yeah, you know, I mean, the tape that you uh, eventually landed in your hands, I'd really like to be able to sit down and have a conversation with that tape somewhere and ask, where you been? <laughs> because <laughs> exactly. I put out a bunch of those to record companies, to uh, individual magazines, uh, sent them all throughout the United States and Europe, 
and um, just figured where we got reviewed, you know, the profile maybe would uh, boost a little bit higher, and <coughs> hopefully somebody at a record company would hear the potential and uh, and contact us. Uh, you know, but uh, those things take time, especially when you're one amongst many, and um, and like I say, not uh, not part of the cookie cutter formula. That that's true. You know, after the demo comes out, Evan, you left the band not long after that. Is that correct? Um, actually, I was I was in uh, uh, well before that. Actually, I think I've been working with Kevin for about a year. We tried some other guitarists who were more into uh, you know more into the party than. And actually, uh, what I remember is they were more into the party and Rat Motley Crew, which you know, fine, good for them. I don't hate those bands, but. It's more stylistically based, and I just don't yeah. have a whole lot of interest in it. Um, the thing is, is, we could just never get anyone who was real serious. I was always very committed musically, just because that's pretty much that's who I am. I, I'm a musician. It's, it's, it's really what I do well. Um, the only thing I do well, it seems. Uh, and it, it was like a life lifeline to me, you know, once I discovered, hey, I could do more than play piano, you know, and take piano lessons, you know, growing up playing, you know, classical stuff, I started listening to heavy metal, you know, for, you know, about junior high years, you know, age 13 and yeah. so, and uh, just gradually got started getting into Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath big time, I just loved D.O.R.S. Sabbath, just totally fucked that, which was perfect, because when I met Kevin, that was just, that was like his favorite. And we both just happened uh, happened to uh, discover Manowar about a year year or two before we we started working together. So it was just perfect. Our chemistry was pretty much uh, it, it was just very very similar. Our influences. So you know it, it it was it was good timing. It was it was obvious obviously meant to be and to make some music. Uh, but uh, we had a hell of a time finding guys who were. Uh, even remotely interested in the same stuff. And uh, it was good to find Kenny. We had some college guy playing drums for a while who Kenny used to make fun of for having short hair. And <laughs> he was a decent drummer, but he didn't quite fit in. I remember some of the jokes and us going, what the hell do we do on stage with this guy? You know, <laughs> where nowadays yeah. it would be an issue. It's just like, hey, people are people. Who gives a fuck, you know? But uh, back I, then it was kind of an issue. It's like, hey, wear the uniform, man. But, uh, <laughs> but, I think, uh, uh, to answer where Mike was coming from, yeah, Evan was with us through the demo and um, yeah. left uh, not too long afterwards. And um, that's uh, there you we go. replaced him with, uh, with Cliff Belknap who uh, was a friend of Kenny's and uh, a capable capable basis in his own right. So that that continued yeah. on pretty much as things were going. Yeah. And he and was Tony in the band for good. about a year. Um, yeah, Evan was with us probably... Um, a couple years, I think. I was, yeah, it, I was, it was with it was you up until about... Years. Yeah, almost 87. I think I almost made it to 87. Uh, maybe even into early 87 and then just had my own problems and was the guy who lived furthest away out uh, south Bay Area of L.A. I was banished down there in some unfortunate circumstances, <laughs> and yeah, much some of it, some of it uh, by choice. Um, but uh, you know, I mean, he recovered a little too late. I think uh, by the time I got myself out of that situation and some of the some of my addictions, uh, Kevin had pretty much just said, "Oh, forget it," <laughs> and all the time. But I. 
put something on record here. The band did not banish Evan. <laughs> the banishment he's talking about was self-imposed. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. No, 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 no confusion intended. Of course, I'm I'm quite I'm more of a storyteller here, so I'll get long-winded. Kevin, Kevin will uh, bring bring <laughs> me right back in here. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, uh, well Evan's just, out. Cliff is gone, and Eric, yep. you come into the picture. How did you hook up with the guys? Uh, well, I uh, I had been um, living in Los Angeles for probably about a year, and had been checking out some bands. And the main thing I was interested in is uh, I was uh, from New York, and I was a fairly successful bass player, a singer, and I had the image. And um, I was looking for a band that had a record deal or was close to getting a record deal and that um, uh, liked to play hard rock. And I came across an ad in a magazine called Musicians Connection. I think that's it, or Music Connection. And uh, there was just this great ad. It had a picture of the band, and they all look like, you know, they're ready to uh, slaughter anything that came anywhere near them. And, uh, and it said they're looking, the ad said, you know, we're looking for the heavy metal bass. must have long hair image, rock, you know, rock attitude, and ready to, you know, hit the road, something to that effect. And I thought, well, this sounds like the, the perfect, um, you know, the perfect opportunity. Um, so, you know, I called the number and it was Kevin, uh, you know, Kevin's number directly. And we got to talking on the phone. And uh, before the conversation was done on the phone, um, we had the uh, uh, same attitude, same ideas, same goals. And um, um, uh, we, uh, we, you know, we were fairly excited to meet each other. And uh, so brought my gear up to Upland, California, which, uh, as Evan has pointed out, is nowhere near the South Bay, where I also live. <laughs> oh, um, wow. But, uh, yeah, but, well, I lived in Long Beach at the time. And, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, got together with Tony Michaels was there, and then George Ferraro was the guitar player. And uh, we hit it off really well. My bass playing and my style fit in quite well with what they were doing. Uh, uh, so we, the, the we... first... Oh, go, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, the first was... thing we had done was outfit me with uh, fur and leather, because I didn't quite have a collection <laughs> of that in my closet. Um, so after they said, you know, we like you, we want you to join the band, uh, Kevin took me to this place that they got all of their stuff at, and it was this, uh, I don't remember where it was, but it was nothing but dead animals from one end to the other, hanging on the wall. And yeah, that was Andy Levy. Yeah, you just... Pick your dead animal to put on. So I got leather pants and I got the, the fur outfit there and, you know, just got the outfit together. And then, you know, the rest, well, you see the pictures. You see the final yeah. results. Fur and leather in California. Animals, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wear fur and leather in 100-degree heat in California. <laughs> that was a good idea. Yeah, yeah. It was something. Uh, well, you were talking about like you know being in Upland, California, and you were in Long Beach, and you know today it doesn't really matter where a band comes from. It seems because the internet connects everybody globally, and you know people in any part of the world could find out about a band. But back then, you know where you came from was kind of key to how you made your name because you kind of had to start locally where you were and play the local clubs and build yourself up, and then spread out and get around. It was much harder back then. I mean, do you think if you had the uh, the internet or the ability of way you communicate with music is today back then the band would have gotten further than it did well so many things are different now it's it's really impossible to uh, visualize exactly where it would have gone but it certainly would have been different that's for sure 
Um, you know, uh, we were really fortunate uh, recently to be able to release this CD that you played a cut from just a moment ago. Um, it's called Put to the Sword. And um, uh, Manos from Cult Metal Classics and Sonic Age Records had evidently come across one of those same tapes that you did, Mike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just floating around out there in the ether somewhere. And yeah. um, he was wild about it. And um, Eric uh, had the foresight to preserve some additional recordings that were evidently boxed away in his fortress somewhere. And um, <laughs> those very things became what uh, has been released now and um, the stuff that you're playing. It's a great yeah, package. and also has a DVD with it. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we were very pleased with that. Um, uh uh, Eric uh, had uh, one of the shows, and I had one of the shows, and um, we, you know, pulled this stuff out and put it together. And uh, he can tell you a little bit more, I think, about the actual yeah. contact and how it came about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a, one of those weird stories, like Kevin was saying earlier. You know, we'd like to interview one of the tapes and say, "Where on earth have you been?" <laughs> but this, uh, this uh, gentleman by the name of Manos, who's the uh, founder and I guess he's the producer of uh, the CD there. Um, he's over in Greece, and like you know, as as you said, also, um, he was a huge fan of the band for years and years and years, and uh, uh, had been trying for years to find somebody in the band to get permission to release the three song demo. Um, he uh, and that's what Cult Metal Classics does is they they specialize in finding unsigned bands from the eighties and giving them their day in the sun today, you know, in the, in the 21st century. Um, so I, I had, I had joined Facebook. I have been uh, anti-Facebook for years and years and years, but I joined it to promote my company. Uh, and, uh, but my name is unique, Eric Tutabene. I mean, there's, there's not too many people named Eric Tutabene on planet earth. And so he did a, Apparently, he did a search uh, one day just in his uh, trying to find us and came across my name on Facebook. So he reached out to me on Facebook and asked for permission to, uh, uh, or if I would give my permission to release the three-song demo. And I said, well, um, I don't mind you doing that, uh, but uh, I actually have a whole bunch more songs that you've never heard. Plus, I have a video, and it was like Christmas Day for Manos. He couldn't believe that there was all this material that was preserved. But I also said, really, the person you need to get a hold of is Kevin Jackson because he has all the rights to the songs. I mean, you know, he wrote them and copywrote them. Uh, but the thing is, Kevin's name, unlike Eric Tutabene, the name Kevin Jackson, Jackson is a little bit more common than Eric Tutabene. And I had actually been trying to get a hold of Kevin for several years. And uh, the, uh, um, you know, it's just, you do a search for his name and, you know, I guess it's a, a more popular name than mine. Uh, it's just several people. <laughs> so, uh, so that was the same, it was the same problem Manos had is, you know, how do you get a hold of somebody with, you know, with a common, more common name? Sure. So yeah. through, through this though, this is what's funny is that Evan somehow, and I'll let Evan pick up the story. Somehow Evan heard about the conversation Manos and I were having, uh, right. putting this together and Evan is like, I know how to get a hold of Kevin Jackson. <laughs> All right. So, uh, 
Let me turn it over to Evan here, and you can pick it up. Yeah. Oh yeah, you had you had that promotional video, and uh, everything was already underway. And uh, I knew right away, hey, Kevin would already had me, you know, informed of all this earlier. So I thought, what the hell is going on? Here's our demo, and what a great video, you know? What the hell is going on? And, uh, of course, when I got in touch with you, you were just enthusiastic as could be and, and, and more than a gentleman. Just, just I, I could tell, you know, your your motives were perfect for doing this. And, and uh, you know, I... I told you right away, I'll contact Kevin, and it just came right together. I mean, you know, we were both a little bit wary at first, but once we got talking to you, it was like, oh, this was great. Good. You mean people are yeah, interested? I, I, I mean, wow. Yeah, I remember, I remember when I first got a hold of Kevin, you know, because Kevin and I hadn't talked in like 25 years. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and have lived here for almost 25 years, 23 years I've lived here. And, yeah. uh, and, the, uh, and then Kevin, you know, I get on the phone with him, and he's like, you know, yesterday I was living my life just, you know, doing my routine. Now today, all of a sudden, I have a record deal. This is, uh, you got to get me up to speed a little bit so I know what's going on here. I, yeah, I keep and, uh, telling everybody the strange thing is when the past doesn't stay in the past, you don't know <laughs> what to make of it. <laughs> True. But but it all comes down to Manos being a huge fan of the band, and um, being you know a, a, a relentless in his pursuit of trying to get a hold of these uh, you know ancient bands from the eighties, and uh, and it was a thrill for him to be able to do it, and he he and he uh, was true to his word and everything that he said. So so we ended up yeah. then with ten songs because. Uh, uh, Kevin had yet one more, the uh, Leatherwing song, which is number 10, plus he had the show at the Roxy, and I had preserved the show at the Gazaris. Uh, um, and then the other six songs literally were just um, on a boombox in the rehearsal studio, just the four of us playing. As, so it's one live track in the rehearsal studio is where those six songs come from, songs four through nine. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just you don't ever think that someone's going to want to actually produce that and, and release that. But evidently, it uh, thought it was good enough. Well, did you realize, you know, how many people out there were talking about you guys over the years and, and you know, interested in how many fans you really had? I mean, it probably came as a shock. You could say, where were these people in the 80s when we were looking for them? But they've been around, I mean, from all over the country. And, like, you guys are like one of those cult underground underground bands that have never died out and people still talk about. You know, thirty years later, I yeah, had pretty, absolutely pretty, no pretty, idea. Uh, yeah, I know it's bizarre. Uh, I, I've seen. Uh, I'm sure uh, Kevin and, and Evan there can attest to the same thing. I mean, I've seen things on YouTube where fans have just had the single picture of the band and then the three three demo tracks. And there's a few people on YouTube who put that stuff out. And and then there's discussions about you know. I mean, everyone seems to be very polite and nice that they like it. You know, no one says anything, you know, negative. But uh, evidently, there's uh, there's uh, people out there that really, really like the band. There's a very low underground following. And here's the million-dollar question. It's been a long time, but people would love to see some sort of reunion with the group. Is it even a possibility? Or have you guys so far moved on out of the music? I know Evan said he's still in music. But what about the rest of you guys? I mean, is it is it a possibility? I don't think oh, yeah. that that's anything that's going to happen, really. Um, we are in different parts of the country, living yeah. different lives with different responsibilities. So um, also, 
you know, there's a couple members of the band who would have been key and would have been contributing in some way or another who we have no idea where they are. Um, so despite the broadness of the Internet and the reach that everybody has globally these days, um, there isn't a lot of connection uh, with all of us. Um, as far as the project uh, as a whole, um, I would have known nothing about anything going on in the music world concerning Blind Assassin if it hadn't been for Evan reaching out and throwing me a little tidbit every so often because I think he does a search for the name online or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And here, here would come some little clip on YouTube, um, maybe some kind of a forum somewhere where they were discussing us. And um, then later on, after I realized that there were things out there in cyberspace, I came across an archive of your show, Mike, and how we had been played a couple of times there. And um, it it just, it blew my mind, because what you're talking about, about how it lives on, um, is uh, completely, uh, you know, out of the unknown. It's just something that uh, was never considered anymore. Um, we just uh, felt like uh, we had done our damage to society, and uh, <laughs> we were going to continue on and uh, just live our lives. Well, one of the first things that uh, Manos had asked me was that, you know, would it be possible, because he would be willing to set up a European tour for us. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I laughed, and I said, well... That sounds like fun. Where were you 25 years ago? Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, because as it stands right now, between the three of us, we have two bass players and a singer. You know, I don't know what kind of a show that would be. It would be unique. Would be kind of, yeah, that would definitely be unique. Um, be like single tap, you know, where you know they're playing big bottoms or something. Uh, but but, anyway, uh, uh, but anyway, stereo. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. <around> <laughs> if Evan was willing to sing, and uh, perhaps Evan was willing to play bass, and they found a drummer and a guitar player, uh, I'm doing my own stuff in Nashville here, so I wouldn't be available for the tour. But anyway, you guys have at it if you you know if uh, if you're yeah. called to do that. Well, it's got to it's got to make you feel good in a way that knowing that all these years later, people are still talking about music you put out back then that you thought wouldn't go nowhere. I mean, you, as hard as you tried, and it just doesn't die out; it, it lives on forever. And now with this album, you know, a whole new generation of kids are hearing it, and they're going to be asking, "Where are these guys? <laughs> we got to get them back." Oh, what what we really need is somebody needs to be a Blind Assassin tribute band. There you go. There you go. That's <laughs> it. Don't start that now. <laughs> Let me tell you Peter something. Peter Iyer, Eric, produce it. <laughs> yeah, we could we could go out and we could see us. <laughs> that would be. Well, if it, if it's ever possible, maybe between Eric and I, or you know, I know. Here, here's a fact: Kevin won't admit to it, but he he can still sing. I mean, he may not be able to, you know, do the screams quite as much, you know, or as well. I mean, I'm sure in his opinion, he'd agree, but uh, I know he can still sing. He, he, he is a vocalist. I mean, that's just as much part of myself as a bass player. He is as a vocalist. Um, yeah. You know, that's who he is. And uh, if I can ever produce something and, you know, collaborate with Eric and we can all collaborate. I play guitar now. I've been playing guitar for, you know, 26 years and, and as well as bass, I never gave up on bass. But, uh, you know, it's a big focus on guitar and actually writing original music. If if I can ever 
uh, you know, get the rest of my life uh, situated. It's been a little rough the last year. I, I wouldn't mind actually taking a look at some of this material and producing it, uh, getting something out there. So, you know, you, you have you know, a maybe I, from me. As a diehard <laughs> fan, as a diehard fan, all I'm hearing is I've got a guitar player, a singer, and a bass player now. We're just looking for a drummer. <laughs> That's all I hear. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's well, yeah. Uh, in in Nashville, rose colored no glasses on there, Mike. <laughs> hey, there's a lot of big festivals here and over in Europe that would love to have you guys. So I don't know. Think about it. It'd be fantastic to see that show. And if it's just a one-time thing, I'll fly to Germany yeah. to keep it true to go see it. <laughs> hey, uh, Mike, I, I wanted to uh, give a shout out in particular. You mentioned in a previous show, I believe, Eamon O'Connor, who contacted yep. you concerning us. Um I don't know Eamon personally except through Facebook, but um, he's obviously a really dedicated fan and a good guy. And so I want to say thank you, Eamon, for contacting Mike. You know, um, uh, we appreciate it. Um, this is something that's uh, a little bit uh, off the beaten path for us, but um, it's, um, like, like Eric said, 25 years coming. Yeah. It really is. And guys, listen, it was great talking with you today. I got about five minutes, I think, left in the show. I want to get on one more tune from the album, but I can't thank you guys enough. And think about that reunion. You would make a lot of people happy. You would make a lot of people's year. <laughs> if it isn't this year, maybe 2016, but it would be fantastic to see what? that. Hey, thank you for all that great music you gave us. I really appreciate that we have more to hear of it now than we did before. Well, thank I'll, I'll leave it at for the right price, I'm sure all of us would agree to get together. <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's probably just going to be airfare and hotel, but you know, that's the way it goes today. Thank you so much, though, for uh, giving us the platform of your radio show and, uh, and for being a fan yourself. I'd love to hear someday how you ever came across the tape because uh, there are few and far between. Well, back in the early 80s, I was a big demo tape trader. I had thousands and thousands of demo tapes in one of my pen pals. Those were the days when you wrote letters to people. You know, they put them in envelopes, you mailed them out. Uh, they gave right. me a, a copy of it. They said, here's a local band, and I became a fan. So going on 30 years or more. Just a little bit of trivia there, Mike. Uh, the song you previously played, What Lies in the Tomb, was the first yeah. completed, fully formed Blind Assassin tune ever. So that goes back to the very, very beginning. Wow. Well, you know what? I'm going to play Assassin right now because that'll take us right out in about six minutes. Okay. Thanks again, Mike. Guys, thank well, you thank very you. much. Have a great day wherever you are in the world. Take care, guys. Thank Bye -bye. you. Blind Assassin is one of my all-time favorite bands. I love these guys. I'm glad that this album actually came out because it gives us a chance to hear more new music that we haven't heard over the years. So let's get on the song Assassin. I played What Lies in Tomb earlier. Here you go.
I love that stuff. Blind Assassin, Assassin. It's so great to hear music by those guys. And hopefully we got inside the heads today and they will think about doing a little reunion tour, you know, or getting out to do some of the festivals. That would be fantastic. But hey, you know what? We're down to the last couple of minutes. I want to thank all my guests tonight, Jeffrey McCormick and Rick Pierce from Q5. If you're looking for something new and great to check out, uh, check out Jeff's band. Well, like I said, it's not together anymore, but you can still get the record from Screams of Angels into the War Zone. He handles the vocals on that, as well as the drums and keyboards. But he's a singer in that band, which he normally doesn't do. It's really a great album. Go and check it out. And we're waiting for the new Q5 to come out. And I have to thank Kevin Jackson, Eretuto Benny, my paisan over there, and Evan Guest from Blind Assassin. I had a great time talking with all these guys tonight. want to remind everybody, this Thursday on the Metal Matinee, it's more cowbells. When I did the first cowbell show, I didn't think I would have enough to even get through the first hour. Actually, the show was a half hour, I think, back then. Uh, but now I'm up to number six. So another hour of cowbell music, cowbells of the beast, this Thursday on the Metal Matinee. And next Sunday night, we got a really great show for everybody. Ron Daniel and Justin Zyke of Viking, as well as Michael Gonzalez of Dark Angel and Viking. Boy, is that a killer show or what? <laughs> I know we have another guest. I just can't remember who the hell it was. Uh, it beats the hell out of me. I'll find out later on when I post it. Who is on next week's show besides Viking? Boy, oh, uh, Jason McMaster from Watchtower. I couldn't remember. I started out last week saying, you know, we have one guest per week. It's looking great this month. And the next thing you know, boom, 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 boom. All the slots filled up. We have two to three bands on a show, and most of them have the whole bands on. But next week, it's Viking and Jason McMaster. He's got his band Evil United going right now. We'll talk to him about that and Watchtower. So don't forget to tune in, everybody. I do appreciate you listening. And I got to send a special thank you out to Iman for hooking me up with the guys in Blind Assassin tonight. I think I'm going to make him the official show booker for guest. It'll save me the trouble of having to do this weekend and week out. So if you're looking for a job, it doesn't pay well. It doesn't pay nothing at all, Iman, but it's up to you. All right, let's close it out here. How about some chariot? Run with the pack. Take care, everybody. I'll see you Thursday. If you can't make that, I'll see you at 6 o'clock next Sunday night. Good night.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.